Welcome, listeners, to this week's episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussions. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as usual, is my partner in movie crime, Kales. Hey, how's everybody doing? And how are you doing, Aaron, on this beautiful day in sunny Washington? I'm enjoying the sunniness of Washington. I can't answer for everybody else. I know that it's been really hard on the northern part of our state, the north northwest of where we're at, up in like Bellingham mm-hmm. and such. Some of the flooding has just been god awful. We are not built to sustain yeah. heavy floods in this area, but yeah, it was a nice reprieve from the crazy winds that we've seen the last several days and power outages, which of course for us as entertainment addicts and movie lovers, video gamers and etc. Like losing your power is probably the worst thing that could happen <laughs> in a lot of ways. Not because you need the light or the heat, <laughs> but because you don't have anything to do. And we're such uh, slaves to our electronics. But yeah, good stuff today. Glad we are, have the opportunity to record and talk about these three films. Our format here on FF Plus is pretty straightforward. If you're a newcomer, we'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and then we will give you a recommendation on whether we think a movie is worth your time and or money. That's it. Simple, short, and spoiler free. Our first film for tonight is the newest Disney animated adventure called Encanto. It stars Ellie Kemper, Rob Delaney, Archie Yates, Isling Bia, Keenan Thompson, Pete Holmes, Ali Maki, and Chris Parnell. I'll be honest, I recommend or recognize very few of those names. Uh, off the top, and that's a credit to the movie because they all did really good work. I thought the voice cast was excellent, but I just wanted to point that out. Not a bunch of star power in this one coming in from the voice cast. It is directed by Byron Howard and Jared Bush, co-directed by Sharice Castro-Smith. It's written by Howard Bush, Castro-Smith, and Jason Hand, Nancy Cruz, and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote the lyrics to all of the songs. He is everywhere basically. He's he's everywhere in this episode. He's on like, you know, 66% of this episode alone. He is just having himself a dadgum year, my friend. What is this one about? The Madrigals are an extraordinary family who live hidden in the mountains of Colombia in a charmed place called the Encanto. The magic of the Encanto has blessed every child in the family with a unique gift. Every child except Mirabelle. However, she soon may be the Madrigal's last hope when she discovers that the magic surrounding the Encanto is now in danger. So, the Encanto, when, when you hear that word, you have, it, it's basically their house, is, is what it is. Is They have this villa, this the casa, they call it their casa, their house. And that is what this magical Encanto is. And the crux of the story is that something happened back in the past. We don't know what it was, but the grandmother of the family, their abuela, at this point in the story, was, you know, in need. Her and the village that they were in were in need. They discovered this candle that was never goes out, and this candle had magic, and it created this house. The house is alive. Everything in the house is kind of, like, sentient. It's very similar to, like, the castle in Beauty and the Beast, you know, how, like, Chip and, you know, all the different pieces, Lumiere, are there. It's like that, only they don't, the house itself doesn't talk, but it does move and, and it reacts 
and then they have a door that appears, I guess, on each of their whatever it is birthdays. And when that's their birthday, they go in the door and they are given a gift. And the gifts range all over the place. They could be uh, one of them super strength. One of them is super hearing. One of them is the ability to heal people with things that they made. So, so um, Maribel's mother, that's what her gift is. So she'll make these like biscuit-like things and give them to people. And when they eat them, they're healed. It's They're very strange concoction of gifts, to be honest. They don't, they don't always make a lot of sense. Um, one of them is shape-shifting, yada, yada. So each family member has one. Mirabelle doesn't. That's kind of a little bit more detail about the story that you're walking into. It is a straight musical. So for me, positives in this movie, I love that. The songs, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> if you have listened to Lin-Manuel Miranda's music, you will be familiar with the style and the sound of these songs. Whether it's Vivo or In the Heights, both from this year, or obviously Hamilton. Like, you know his music when you hear it, and it's no different here. It's got that modern kind of hip-hop nature to some of the songs. Um, I liked the music a lot. I thought it was really great. One thing that's cool is sometimes in both the text, the, the dialogue, but also in the music, they'll go and start singing in Spanish, and there's no subtitles for it. And I actually really appreciated that because the point was not for us to understand every single lyric it was as as someone who doesn't speak the language it was to accurately represent the in and out of language that this family used and it worked for me in context like i knew what was going on visually i didn't need to see the lyrics to understand what they were singing about so i i like that the whole setting and the culture being Colombian is really cool. It's really interesting. There's a village. The family members are are unique and, and they're a lot of fun. It's beautiful. The animation is super colorful and vibrant. And I really enjoyed seeing the gifts in use and how they reflected various talents of the family. And then when it comes to Mirabelle, the fact that she doesn't have a gift in this movie, and that's the generating point of the conflict in the story is why doesn't she have a gift and, and what's going to happen? And it, it sort of could play as a metaphor for having a disability, honestly, for feeling hidden, for feeling less than, unuseful. And for me, Coles, honestly, I, I thought this is probably going to be one of the great Thanksgiving films. So there's not a lot of films that are about Thanksgiving. This essentially is a Thanksgiving film. It's about a family. They're all together. And somebody's the black sheep. <laughs> somebody's the one that doesn't quite fit in. And they all end up having to deal with that, right? And they all end up having to solve a problem, which I'm not going to explain, of course, because we're spoiler-free here. But I really enjoyed this. I was locked into it. I had a blast. Um, took my daughter and her friend, and they both really enjoyed it. I am excited to see it again when I get the chance. So it's a movie that I thought was really, really great and one of the better animated films of the year up there, probably two, top two or three for me. The way that the family reconciles in the end when the story kind of reveals some history 
is also really sweet and brought me to tears. Negative wise, I would say it's not perfect. There are the gifts in general, while I think that they're interesting to see in use from an animation style, the way that they use them in the film, they don't all make sense, okay? Like one of the people's gifts is, I don't know if she can change the weather, but she like has this weather cloud walking around with her over her head and it changes basically based on her mood. And they're very strange. They're not all like superhero gifts where, you, you know, you have super hearing and super strength, but there's not invisibility or the ability to fly. Some things that would you would think would be maybe more useful to a family that was supposed to be supporting the village, because that's really why they what they do with their gifts is they support the rest of their village. It was it's a weird concoction. I think it's probably there the way that they did some of them. May they may exist to be more zany for kids to enjoy, but I just didn't think they always made a lot of sense as to why they had the gifts that they had. The sound mix has some issues, and this is actually tied to a strength of being Lin Manuel Miranda's music and lyrics. Some of his lyrics when they lean into the hip hop and the rap nature of his songwriting, they move really fast. And because of the volume of the theater, you can miss out on what is being said, even in English. And it was a bummer because I think that in these specific moments, you're supposed to know what's happening. They're talking, they're using the song as dialogue to talk story in those lyrics. And you, there's no way to know it. It's just like, and it's going so fast and it's so loud. And it just, it, you get lost. Like it just kind of is noise. And that was a frustration several times um, in the songs, parts of the songs. I also was not fully in love with the way that they revealed how the miracle, that's what they call it, came to the abuela and the purpose of those gifts. As I mentioned, they were kind of zany. We do get an, we get an explanation for why it came, but there's a real fairy tale element to it. There's a lot of mystery, okay? It's one of those things where it's like, this thing just happened and it was magical and yay there's no understanding of like this higher power like a you know a genie created you don't get anything other than it happened and this was the problem that it was solving but you don't know where it came from you don't know why it exists there's no i guess i should say there's no like the rules to the universe don't feel very fleshed out to me again probably because it's a disney movie but i wanted a little bit more in that area but not a lot of negatives. They're minor to me, in, on, in all honesty. I really enjoyed this one. I think it's going to be great to take the kids to. Uh, one of our fellow critics asked in our Facebook group about, was it too scary to take a child to? And there's one section of the film that is very reminiscent of the Cave of Wonders in Aladdin. And it has that sort of like ominous sense and suspense to it but it's never outright scary there's a lot of animals and cute you know cutesy fun stuff happening and so I, I think that it's probably really good for kids of most any age honestly I, I would 
100% recommend this. It will be in theaters only, available on November 24th, which is either the day before Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving itself. I can't remember which, but it is Thanksgiving week weekend, and I, I think it's great. I think it's a movie to take the family to and enjoy and absolutely have a blast with. Since it won't be on Disney+, Plus, I can't recommend you watch it at home. Uh, so I definitely recommend that people go to a theater and see this one. I think that your family in particular would probably really enjoy this. Yes, this was one that was on our radar. Me and Mallory um, talked about it because I had told her you were going to see this film. And we saw a trailer for it. And it seems like it would be right up um, our daughter's alley. So we were thinking about if we go up to the to Bellingham. Well, right now, the situation in Bellingham is, is crazy because of the flooding. But if we're able to go up there and spend time, um, our plan was to take her to go see it. And I'm happy to hear that it exceeds expectations or at least stays right on expectation. Yeah, it definitely does. I think you guys will have a really good time with it. Well, next up is a movie with a very divisive title. <laughs> a lot of people that I've talked to absolutely hate it. I think it's really cool. Uh, it is called Tick, Tick, Boom. It stars Andrew Garfield, Alexandra Shipp, Robin DeJesus, Joshua Henry, Judith Light, and Vanessa Hudgens. It is directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It is his directorial debut. It is written by Stephen, or his feature film directorial debut, I should say. It is written by Stephen Levinson and based on the semi-autobiographical musical of the same name. So they just kept the name the same. It's not like they created it by Jonathan Larson, a famous uh, theater guy who was responsible for the creation of the musical Rent among other things. What is it about? On the cusp of his 30th birthday, a promising young theater composer navigates love, friendship, and the pressures of life as an artist in New York City. Kales, I will throw this to you since I just got done talking a lot, and I'm really curious what your favorites are because you were a little bit reluctant and you're not normally a musical guy. I'm not, but I think the film we saw earlier this year called Vivo um, on Netflix kind of brought me around to catching more of Lin-Manuel Miranda's work because um, Hamilton's everywhere. You know, last year, especially during the pandemic, kind of blew up again and it got a new resurgence. So that kind of brought him back into the light. And he's, like you said, he's been everywhere. I mean, he had a film in the Heights released earlier this year. And then he also had Vivo and he had Ernesto. And now he has this. And and this is also the same guy who did the um soundtrack and music for uh, Mona. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yes, because that's one of my favorite. Moana. Um, yeah, Moana. I, I keep forgetting <laughs> how that's pronounced because the spelling and the pronunciation are so different. But yes, that's one of my favorite Disney films. So he's been on my radar for a little bit. And honestly, I can say that I was shocked how great this film was. From a musical standpoint, the reason why I, I have to explain, the reason why I'm not really a big fan of musicals because sometimes they feel a little bit too show tuned. Like it feels like that Anytime they put on music, it feels like something that, that is performed on stage and it doesn't have any feeling or kind of rhythm to it unless you buy into the story. But with this film, it's already based on the autobiographical journey of Jonathan Larson, who is a famous playwright on Broadway. And like you said, he was responsible for the worldwide internationally known Rent. And we kind of see him before he's about to hit 30 years old, which if you look at it now, 30 is not really that old, but I guess back then, 30 was really 30. And so he's wondering about how he's going to make a mark on his life. He 
he has his dream of being a playwright, of being able to write songs like his idols did and, you know, musicals like West Side Story and being able to have that kind of presence and that attention and that validation from the world because he has the skills to do it. But he's, you know, he's living in a, you know, cramped apartment. He's in New York City. He's working as a waiter. So all these things are just like, they're weighing down on him. Like the, he feels like the pressure is on that if he doesn't do this, if he doesn't achieve this goal, then what is it all for? It, it's not about money for him. It was about doing something that was going to bring happiness and joy and thinking to a lot of people. And in this film, I think that Lynn did a great job of capturing that. It doesn't feel, it, if you didn't tell me that this was a adapted play then i would have not never noticed i would have thought that oh this is a new way that someone is um telling a story about a real life figure and the songwriting is incredible there there are a lot of great songs that really deal with the themes and the different moments of larson's life and being able to have an actor like andrew garfield and being able to have actors like vanessa hudgens and being able to have them not only be good actors but also be great singers i mean i did not know that andrew garfield had this in him i, I didn't know that this oh, guy me either <laughs> like this guy could like quit hollywood right now and just go and just do broadway musicals for the rest of his lifetime if he wanted to that's how talented he is and outside of the singing he is also able to play larson almost as a person that you can kind of relate to even though i had no prior hand knowledge about him except for his plays rent but i didn't know about the man himself but watching garfield play him you kind of get to know about this man and you kind of get to see the his mindset and what he believed in and what he wanted to achieve and his beliefs and seeing his friendships as well i think some of my favorite moments of this film involve his friendship with his friend michael which is played by robin de Hes robin de jesus and seeing that his friend is living in this upscale apartment in nyc he's got this nice you know um six-figure job and Larson is still living in his cramped apartment and he has dreams of being famous. And there's kind of a little bit of dichotomy between these both of these guys. But it's not like it's like, oh, Larson is right and Michael is wrong, or that Larson's a good person, Michael's a bad person. It's like, no, these guys are human. They have they have different goals, different ambitions, different things that they want to do before they leave this earth. And it's explained for Michael that just because he's a guy that has a high paying job and that he has this nice apartment. He still has fears himself. This is set during the times of the AIDS epidemic that was ravaging not only um, LGBTQ plus communities in America, but it was ravaging minority communities. And it was something that a lot of people did not still have knowledge about. We didn't understand what it was. We didn't understand how to cure it. We didn't understand how it could be transmitted. So Larson, he had a lot of friends that were in the LGBTQ plus community. And seeing how this epidemic was kind of affecting his personal life and kind of helped him to get the motivation to continue on and do these plays and write these songs in order to not only celebrate and to give a viewpoint about what he sees, but also to celebrate for the, his friends' voices that are never going to be heard. And it's that part of the film that is very powerful, very dramatic, you know, outside of the great music there is a lot of human themes to relate to. And I had a ball with it. Well, I'm super glad to hear that. I think that's amazing. And I hope you are coming around. Maybe you'll go see West Side Story with me too. Who knows? Mm, 
<laughs> I'm still iffy on that, I, but it's, it's Spielberg, so I might as well. Give I know. It. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna keep pushing. Um, no, this is this is awesome to hear, and I think your perspective on this is very important because people who also are maybe reluctant about musicals can hear how it went for you versus how it went for me, who is an un you know or very biased, uh, unashamed musical lover, and so I'm coming into this predisposed to like it more than maybe it's worth and value is where you're as more likely to be on the opposite side. So for you to like it, it really means a lot. I loved it. Unsurprisingly, I think Garfield is phenomenal. I won't talk too much about the themes because I think you nailed it. And that emotion that he displays in this and the real life human story of his relationships with his friends and his struggle as a creative artist and trying to find his voice and make his way, I think are really articulated well, but Garfield himself, the performance is phenomenal. Uh, it's easily going to be one of my top five of the year. I don't see it falling off of that list. I've always been a Garfield Stan. He is amazing. Even as Spider-Man, in my opinion, I will fight you to the death over that. Uh, not just you shaking your head, but you collective listeners come at me. We've got two episodes on those movies. You can go listen to my love of Andrew Garfield. But I think he's amazing. And I'm so glad to see the world catching up and realizing how versatile of a talent he is. Like you said, he can sing. It's crazy. I would have never thought that he could do it. Larson is eccentric, right? He's a very typical theater kid. And so he's kind of a little bit excessive in his mannerisms. And, he, and I think that the directorial style that Miranda brings to this is able to capture that perfectly. I don't think everyone's going to like it because the editing is, it can feel chaotic at times. And the way that you move in and out of songs is not always quite like traditional musicals. In traditional musicals, a lot of times you will kind of work your way up to a musical number and then you just kind of stop you do the musical number and then you're boom you're back to talking this this it's a really it's like a ever it's like a roller coaster it's like on and off on and off on and off kind of throughout the first half at least of this movie it jumps between time as well which can get a little confusing it feels like you're watching a broadway musical it really does to me and i think that it's intentional and it captures the uncertainty that Larson is feeling, and it captures that creative vibe that he is going through in real time. And it really shows the emergence of his genius as the story progresses. But I do not think that everyone is going to enjoy that. I think some people are going to be turned off by that. So it's a strength for me. It may be a you know, weakness for others. I also want to say Robin DeJesus, second favorite performance in the film. You mentioned him. The relationship between Michael and Jonathan is heartbreakingly beautiful and bittersweet at times. It's the thing that made me cry in this movie. I think DeJesus is fantastic in this. I also really like that Bradley Whitford plays the legend Stephen freaking Sondheim. So... If you're a musical person, you'll know Stephen Sondheim is responsible for many, many a famous musical. And I think Bradley Whitford, he's very limited 
screen time as the character, but like he nails it and it's just cool to see him. So yeah, I think it's a really emotionally honest and respectful look at this man's life. And I think the acting is brilliant and I really, really enjoyed it. It makes me need to go back and watch rewatch Rent because I haven't seen Rent in a very long time. And it's really sad that we lost someone this talented. It always is sad when we lose talented people at such a young age. Um, but, you know, getting to see their stories and learn about some of the people in their lives that were affected by them is always a blessing. Oh, this movie also has a cool YMCA reference in one of its songs, which is always a positive for moi, who works at a YMCA. Any big negatives about this one for you, Kales? None that I could think of. Like I said, I'm not experienced in the genre of musicals, so maybe if I had a lot of them more under my belt, maybe I could find some. But I know for me that I'm pretty much riding on the high of this just being a a great surprise for me this year. Uh, I, I had no expectations coming into it, and I think it's always best to come into a film that way because you never know what it could do for you. And this is one of those films. I fully enjoyed it. Awesome. I you know I think the only negatives for me are just there's a little bit of a pacing change about midway through the film where it, it does have that chaotic structure that I mentioned, which. It works for me more than it doesn't. There are moments in this where even I am like, okay, you're really, really pushing that boundary of eccentricity, Manuel. And, you know, you're you're kind of, you're on the cusp of losing me. But it usually brought me back with some neat visual, you know, interesting scene. The movie does kind of lose some of its musical in and out flow in the second half and become a lot more talky and normal dramatic movie pacing and i liked that less than i liked the uh real energetic and fun first half but i think it is excellent all around as well so tick tick boom will be in theaters well it is in theaters it's in theaters right now when you're listening to this and it will also be streaming on netflix on november the 19th so what's your recommendation well, anything is enhanced by the big screen, so I definitely would recommend everybody to go see it on the big screen, especially if they're a big fan of musicals. And if you're not choosing, you want to stay at home, definitely fire it up on Netflix. I mean, this would be a great two hours. Yeah. So, I mean, I would agree. I think if you love musicals, go see it in a theater if you can. Netflix's movies are, who knows how long they're going to be there. <laughs> Sometimes they just, they're there for a week. Sometimes they aren't everywhere in the country. They're just in limited cities. So I don't know if it's actually going to be available for you where you're listening to this or not. But if it is and you love musicals, I would say, yes, I recommend a theater. But for anybody, I recommend, yes, watch it. Watch it at home. Give it a shot. At least take a chance on it and see what you got. Because I think you will be impressed um, at the very least. And you might just love it as well. Last but not least is Ghostbusters Afterlife the newest sequel in the Ghostbusters franchise. It stars Carrie Coon, Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, Paul Rudd, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, and Annie Potts. And just reading you the cast list, sorry, I guess in a way maybe that's a spoiler that some of these characters are going to show up at some point. I'm not going to tell you how, so you'll have to figure that out for yourself. It is directed by Jason Reitman, son of Ivan Reitman, who is responsible for the original Ghostbuster films. And it is written by Reitman and Gil Keenan. What is it about? 
When a single mother and her two children move to a new town, they soon discover they have a connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy that their grandfather left behind. So I will start off by giving the caveat that I am not a Ghostbusters superfan. I've rewatched the movies recently to show them to my son before we went to see this. Ghostbusters 1, the original, I like it. I think it's fun. I think it is a really, really cool concept. Ghostbusters 2, I think it's bad. <laughs> There's a lot about Ghostbusters 1 that's bad too. It's overcome by being interesting and unique. But there are some characters in there. The character of Vinkman, he, he's gross. He's like James Bond, but not cool when it comes to his treatment of women. It is not, it's not good at all. And so I'm not a super fan of this franchise. I haven't seen the reboot that was done with an all-female cast. And that is not technically canon either. This film is a sequel directly after Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters Afterlife. I say that because it's important to note just how much of a sequel this is. If you do not know what happened in 1 and 2, a lot of it's going to happen again. <laughs> but you are going to get so much more out of this movie. This movie, and part of what I enjoyed about it, is it is for the fans. Okay? Fan service overload. Think The Force Awakens, that's probably the best comp I can give you. So if you hated the way that The Force Awakens, you know, walked that thin line of copying A New Hope and just throwing in fan service after fan service, skip Ghostbusters Afterlife. Just, just don't go see it because you're not going to be happy at all. But if you like that, that's what this is for. It's for fans, right? You, we always say, oh, movie's made for fans. It's made for fans. It's not, I don't think, made to be as accessible for a new crowd because you need to, you're going to get so much more out of it if you have that knowledge. They do explain things again, but it's just not the same. So I thought it was super charming. I thought it was really hilarious. I don't know if I've been in a theater where people laughed out loud as much as they did overall at this movie. There is a very snappy script that is full of jokes and it's very modern jokes, lots of dad jokes. McKenna Grace is amazing. Like we have a best youth actress or not actress, best youth that I can't talk. We have a best youth performance category for SFCS awards. Easily going to be top five for me. She's really, really great. She's a little science-loving kid who's 12 years old, and she talks like an adult, and it just plays out really well against a kind of, you know, silly Paul Rudd character who's always fun, and Carrie Coon, who's always awesome. And there's this little kid as well played by, what's his name? I want to say his name, Logan Kim. Uh, he plays a character whose name is Podcast, <laughs> You can guess why he has that name. Basically, he goes around the whole movie making podcasts, and he's hilarious. He he adds a lot of comedic, sweet value to it. So I enjoyed that part of it. There's just a ton of humor, and it's a lot of fun. The visuals are updated, and they're real flashy and bright and colorful. You know, the ghosts look a lot better than they did back in the 80s, obviously, because of CGI. And I think it was a pretty 
cool throwback nostalgic wise. Like there's a lot about the reason why they're at this house and their connection to a previous Ghostbuster. There's a lot about that that is emotionally interesting and has a payoff in the end in a way that I thought was really quite nice. That being said, it is derivative in a way that is, inter this is what I said on Twitter, it's derivative in a way that is entertaining and mostly tolerable, but ultimately it will eventually become terrible. Because in the third act, they go all the way into just basically recreating the movie that we've seen before. I mean, the plot is, this is where the Force Awakens comp really comes in. Like, we're talking beat for beat for beat for beat for beat with a slightly different ending. And it's kind of emotionally manipulative. It kind of worked for me because I'm a guy that is okay with that stuff, but I'm putting it in my negatives because I thought it was overdone for sure. And I can see a lot of people being like, I'm rolling my eyes. You're not, this is not working for me. It means nothing because it's so stupid and it's so forced. And it was like, they just, Kales, I think this universe is so interesting, right? It's so cool, the concept. And there's such a wide variety of stories they could tell. And they found the characters that are really good. And, and, and the way that they created them and the, like I said, the connection to the old Ghostbusters, the potential's there. They, they, the script was shackled to history in a way, and they could not break free from it. And that's ultimately what sinks this into it's good, but there's no way it's anything special territory. It's my favorite of the three, but ultimately the, the visuals, they're bigger, they're brighter, and they sound better, but it's the same thing we've seen. They just, they look different, but it's the same. It's really the same. And the story being the same. Also, Finn Wolfhard is like the number one credit in this movie or one of the top two credited actors in this movie. And he is completely replaceable. He's boring. He feels like he doesn't get really any development. He's totally replaceable in the entire movie, which was shocking to me. Um, and kind of a bummer, to be honest. McKenna Grace, just her character, just both the acting and the way the character is created, just outshines him like a sun versus, a, you know, a flashlight or something. It's, it's crazy. I, I did enjoy it, and I really would like if they could make a sequel to this and just follow McKenna Grace and leave all of the old Ghostbuster history behind. So if they were to do that, I'm 100% on board. And I think it could be better and it could be really, really good. But yeah, this is, it's a hit and miss thing. I mean, it's parts of it are really fun and parts of it are pretty terrible too. So just go in expecting that. I also want to point out that there is definitely a mid credits scene that is worth seeing that will, it's really cute. And I, it, it tries to somewhat right the wrongs of, a relationship from the first movie that bothered me. That's all I can say without really spoiling it, but uh, it's good. It's really fun, fun stuff. So uh, Patrick and I are going to do a full episode on this one this week, coming weekend in which I think Patrick will be even more positive on it than I will. And of course those main episodes that are full of spoilers, 
we try to really stay positive in those. So I will be gushing more in that and less focused on these negatives that I found because I had a blast. I mean, I, I want to point that out. I want to be clear. I had a really great time. It's just so much the same that I don't think I need to watch it over and over again. And yeah, they just they couldn't break free, unfortunately. So that is what I think about Ghostbusters Afterlife. It will be in theaters on November the 19th. I say go see it no matter what. I think it's worth seeing. I think it looks good on the big screen. It sounds good. It is, as I mentioned, hilarious. And the whole theater was laughing out loud. I think opening weekend, you're going to get such a, a great response because you get that communal feeling of joy that even when you leave and you start thinking about it more critically and you're like, oh, that really wasn't that great. At least you got that two hours of just smiling and having fun and laughing at the person next to you and looking over next to your son when they made dad jokes like, hey, dude, I say that stuff all the time. You know, that was funny. And then, you know, your kid rolling his eyes at you because it was really probably pretty dumb. So, yeah, I say go see it in a theater. I think if you have any remote interest, you will not be sorry for that. Well, that's it for us this week on FF+. Plus. Hopefully one of these films has piqued your interest. That's always our hope. We would love to hear what you think when you do see the films that we talk about. You can hit us up on Twitter, at FeelinFilm and at BlackNerdMagic. You can find our letterbox accounts, uh, read all of our reviews, come chat with us there. Both of those are linked in the show notes, as well as a link to the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group, where Kales and I spend most of our time all day long. So you can come talk with us and lots of other cinephiles and movie lovers all day, every day. We would love to have you there. We will be back next week. Until then, keep watching movies, keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then... Stay positive and keep feeling film.